Good morning. This morning we will continue our study through the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, this morning we'll be looking at verses 12 through 18, and uh, I'd like to open us up by reading the passage. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but others also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let's open a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would be with us as we continue through this wonderful letter. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would just move me out of the way and that your, the truth of your word would come forth to all here. And Lord, may we all together be edified in your word. And most of all, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, throughout history, quite frankly, ever since the fall, those who are faithful to the word of God have a high probability of persecution. As a matter of fact, Paul told Timothy, those who live righteously will be persecuted. He didn't even make any bones about it. If you live the life the way scripture declares, you will suffer persecution of some sort. Okay? Now, this can be seen in both the Old and New Testaments. Persecution, uh, matter of fact, uh, right now in Sunday school, if anybody's interested, Darren's taken us through like an overview of church history, and persecutions are just all over church history. It, church history, that, that is church history. <laughs> the church being persecuted throughout the centuries. Now, it's, diff, it's, it's really difficult to find time when the church was not under attack somewhere in the world. We're actually in a unique situation here in the United States and even in the West. I mean, in recent years, I mean, how many centuries has it been that any kind of meaningful person, and I mean really persecution, not people, you know, sticking their tongue out at you or something like that. I mean real persecution, like imprisonment, torture, that sort of thing. That's, this is almost like an anomaly. It's, this is not normal throughout the church age. And uh, all, however, I do think that's about to change. I really do, unfortunately. But, well, or maybe fortunately, because persecution, you, you look through church history, and I don't want to get too far off a field here, although I just did, but it tend to, tended to purify the body. When the, when the hammer was laid down and all of a sudden it was illegal to preach the gospel, only those that were serious about preaching the gospel and only those that were uh, believers in the gospel stayed around. The others fled. Okay? So, a good Old Testament example. Let me look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. That, that famous passage there where the, uh, the uh, 
Old Testament saints, almost like held in review. I want to look in, in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let's pick it up in verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11 and how the Old Testament saints were described. 11.32 says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Sounds good so far. Well, here's the rest of this. Like uh, Paul Harvey used to say, now for the rest of the story. I think I dated myself. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And in all, and I'll just leave it at that. And that's, that's it. That's the, that's the life story of the Old Testament, men of the Old Testament states. And um, I was going to turn there, but I'm not. But in Stephen's defense of his position before the Sanhedrin, in, in the closing argument that he made to the truth, not for him, his personal defense, he, he looked at, the, uh, he looked at the, the priests and the Pharisees and says, which one of the prophets haven't you tortured? Haven't you persecuted? You know, meaning that linking them with, with the same, where persecution is just what happens. And um, there's plenty of New Testament examples. The book of Acts is full of them. We're, not, we're only going to maybe look at one. But, for example, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. Acts chapter 5, 18, for, all the apostles are put in jail. Acts chapter 5, verse 40, the apostles are beaten. Uh, Stephen stoned to death. Acts chapter 7, persecution scatters the church. Acts chapter 8, we'll come back to that one later. James, the brother of John, remember James and John, the sons of Zebedee? James, the brother in John, was killed by Herod, Acts chapter 12. And then, then of course, Paul, I mean, Paul's ministry was really, you follow him around, and he was just literally the one who used to persecute the church, probably got, ended up getting more persecution than any of them. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and the situation here to make sense of this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll look at we'll, we'll, verse 23 to 28, what we're going to look at. Here is Paul is in the process of defending his apostleship. There were false apostles in Corinth trying to take over his position. And we're going to see later on in our study of Philippians, there were some that were that were actually Christians, uh, doing things in spite of him. Here, these people in Corinth were false Christians. These were false apostles. And, that's, and, and Paul called them out to, as, just as that. Verse 23. And now remember, this is Paul's 
so this is why this is why this is what an apostle looks like. This is his defense. And speaking of these false apostles, are they servants of Christ? I speak of as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments. This is his bona fides, if you want to say. This is his proof of apostleship. I've been persecuted like the apostles are being persecuted. False, false teachers, you notice they don't get persecuted? They don't get persecuted. For I more so, far more in labors, far more in imprisonments, beaten times without number. Remember the law said 39 and you stop. They were, he was sometimes beaten without number. Often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers from the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers from the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and in hardship throughout through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. And that can be a heavy burden, believe me. But especially for a man like Paul who founded all these churches and then had felt that deep felt responsibility for all these people, that was on him. And it was on him now as we pick up here and uh, we come back to Philippians. You know, here we find... Uh, Paul, once again, incarcerated, this time in Rome. Now, going back, we, in 2 Corinthians, now remember, 2 Corinthians was written approximately 55, 56 A.D. The Philippian letter was written approximately 60 to 62 A.D. So we're talking about approximately five or six years before. And, you know, Paul has been in imprisonments, since he wrote Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it didn't stop there. I mean, think of the events that got him to Rome. You know, by the time we know from, uh, from uh, <clears throat> Acts 28 that Paul spent two years in the confinement that we'll be looking at a little bit this morning. Two years there, over two years, a little over two years in Caesarea. Then they had the trip to Rome, which took four, five, six months chained to a Roman soldier. And so now you're talking four and a half years of incarceration just getting, you know, when it's all said and done. About two and a half getting to Rome and another two in Rome. Okay? At the end, we'll have sign-ups. Who wants to be an apostle? You can go sign up in the back. But remember, this comes with it. All right? Yeah, if, they, if these false apostles knew what really came with the territory... There'd be few people that want to sign up for the job. Now, Paul's going to go ahead and present Paul's present circumstances. We'll look at 12 to 14. First point, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Again, now I want you to know. This is a very common expression of the day. It's, it's used to draw attention to an important point especially one that might be easily missed, misunderstood, or perhaps hard to accept. Now remember, Paul in imprisonment in Rome, writing to the Philippian church in Macedonia, you know, they wondering where he's at, and when you're, we're in prison, you think, oh goodness, what's happening? Well, he's not locked in a dungeon, 
away from people. He's not being beaten. As a matter of fact, we're going to see as we read through that, that other than being chained to that guard, other than that, it was pretty good. Things were doing, he was doing well. Like I say, he was doing well. And we'll, we'll, like I say, we'll be getting that. Now, conversely, Paul often wrote in many of his letters that uh, he did not want his readers to be uninformed. Okay? Um, I want to look at some of these examples because this is, this is a pattern of Paul in his writings that, you know, like all the New Testament writers, that, you know, it's not that the other guys wrote it and not caring, but Paul just, remember Paul's letters, I know you look at Paul's letters, they're so, for lack of a fancier term, they're very theological. You know, a lot of doctrine in there, a lot of things that can be misunderstood. And then with, amidst all that doctrine, there's points that he wants to focus on that could be missed because of all the things associated with it. He uses that, that term, this other term, in verse 13 of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 13. I figure this is a good one to look at because this is the, where he's imprisoned and, and the problems he's going to be facing are from Romans, Roman believers, actually, later on in this, this uh, section. Romans 1.13 says, And I do not want you to be unaware. Remember in the, in the King James that says, I do not want you to be ignorant. I remember that was translated that in the King James. Uh, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. And then he, he goes on to explain his, his circumstances. And he's been praying for a long time to, to show up and minister to the church at Rome. I don't think at the time of this writing that the way he got there was, isn't what he had in mind. Okay? Coming in there under guard. But, hey, an answer of prayer is an answer of prayer. He's there. He's there and he's ministering. He's ministering. And in, in Romans also, uh, verse 11, or chapter, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 25, another point, and see a lot of these points that, uh, <clears throat> again, he's stressing. 11.25 says, for I, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now here's one too. This is one of those points. This is a point uh, today that people are still, if not uninformed, extremely misinformed about the future of Israel and Israel's relationship to the church. That, quite frankly, gets messed up on a regular basis. And we could go on. um, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, for example, I won't turn there. But 1 Corinthians 12 says, I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about the nature of spiritual gifts. Because in Corinth, they had a big, big problem with spiritual gifts, um, the misuse and misunderstanding of it. So then he spent (laughs) chapters 12, 13, and 14 explaining spiritual gifts. So now back to Philippians 1, 12. Here Paul wants them to understand that his imprisonment has actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, and he wanted them to know that, again, he was not locked away in some dungeon someplace being tortured. He, you know, and in terms of the gospel, his present circumstances benefited the spreading of the gospel. And I'm telling you, you see this in, 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 his, in, in his coverage, in the way he's covered in the book of Acts, in all his letters, that Paul was literally obsessed with the gospel. 
And that is a good thing to be obsessed with. Paul lived for the gospel. He loved the gospel. Um, and he says, you know, my circumstances have benefited. And he wasn't bashful about being in change. I mean, in a letter, Ephesians, the Ephesian letter, which is also one of these, one of those four prison epistles. Remember, Ephesians was written from Rome. Philippians, also Colossians, and that little letter to Philemon, the four prison epistles. And in Ephesians, he writes, in this letter to the Ephesians, he referred to himself as the prisoner of the Lord. The prisoner of the Lord. Because why would he say that? Because he knew, well, based on his faith, read his, read his uh, epistles. And you know, Paul believed in the sovereignty of God. And therefore, he knew where he was is where God wanted him. And, he, and he's explaining that. It's like, hey, my imprisonment has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Therefore, in, in like in Ephesians, he referred to himself as the prisoner of the Lord in 4.1. An ambassador in chains, 620 of Ephesians. I mean, he referred to himself as that. He knew why he was there. God wanted him right there at right time doing what he was doing because it had a lot of positive effects, which we're going to look at. Now, the progress of the gospel is what what Paul was called to and what he dedicated his life to. I mean, again, it's the gospel was his passion. The gospel was his passion. Acts chapter 20. Let's look there. Turn to Acts chapter 20. This is one of those passages that, um, you know, it's very meaningful when it comes to uh, any discussion of uh, church leadership. Acts 20 verse 17. And this, this whole passion of Paul comes out in here. Here Paul is in Miletus. He's on his way to Jerusalem, which, by the way, is where he got arrested and then finally shipped back to Rome. But anyway, so he's there, and he calls, and he knew he couldn't. He, he was in such a hurry to get back to Jerusalem that in Miletus, he called about 30 miles away. He called for the elders to come over and speak with him. And let's, let's cut into that conversation, verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesians and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set forth in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came about upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, The bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course, the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Hey, if I go back there and I'm killed, I'm killed, Paul said. I'm called to preach the gospel and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And essentially he's saying, God is going to have to stop me because I will not stop. I am going and, he's, and you can see that throughout, again, in the book of Acts 
and his, the writings in, in his letters, that that was Paul's main focus. And that's why he, he never, never got sidetracked. He just, he truly, truly loved the gospel. Yeah, we have one more I'd like to go to. I'm just kind of gaming out the time here. But Romans chapter 1, 14 through 17, again, it just shows his total commitment to the gospel. Romans 1, 14 through 17 says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Again, this is why Paul was just so adamant. He understood the gospel more than, well, nobody understood it more than Paul did. Let's just say it that way. Um, and so he just, again, it just, so, and he got so much joy. You get back to, um, first, back to Philippians I mean, this is why Paul got so much joy from the Philippians, due to their participation in the gospel. Remember back in, in verse, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, it says, in, in his um, prayer of thanksgiving, he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. Why? Because in every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Even now, in confinement, in Rome, the Philippians were still in full support. And then we've seen from past studies that that support was, a lot of it was financial support and also prayerful support and moral support as well being visited. Now, back to verse 12, it says, The Greek word for progress, prokipe, describes not merely moving forward, but it means Doing so against obstacles, against, you know, there's stresses and things in the way. It's, it's this, you're just not running like on an open field. It's, it's moving, but it's pushing through the barricades and the, and the stumbling blocks. And very often these obstacles, including persecution, can actually bring about greater opportunities for the gospel. An example would be that persecution recorded in Acts chapter 8. Does anybody remember that story of what happened there? No? Well, let's go back then. Acts chapter 8. You should have answered sooner. Acts chapter 8, verse, beginning right there at verse 1. Acts 8, verses 1 through 8. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But, and Saul was in, in here. Here's Saul prior to being Paul, Right? And Saul was in hearty agreement with the putting to him to death. And that was their talk. They're looking back on Stephen. Stephen had just been martyred. Paul was in hearty agreement with him being put to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And some, and, and some devoted men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church Entering house after house and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about, you know, went about preaching the word. You know, 
Those who had been scattered went up, went up, ran out and hid. No, <laughs> no, they were scattered. And wherever they got scattered to, they just kept on preaching. Look at verse 5. Here's an example. Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. And they heard and they saw the signs <clears throat> which he was performing for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many of whom had been paralyzed and the lame were healed, and there was much rejoicing in that city. And if you, and you read through it, you'll find out that when, they, when, when the apostles that stayed in Jerusalem heard about it, well, Peter and John went up there to, to check it out and confirm the, uh, the new converts, which they did. And then verse 25 uh, says, <clears throat> no, excuse yeah, verse 25 said, And when they had solemnly testified, that's Peter and John with Philip and whoever else was there, when they had solemnly testified and spoke the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So on their way back, they'd stop in these villages, preach the gospel. Hit the next village, preach the gospel. And they just preached the gospel all the way back into Jerusalem. And then we know we won't look at that. We'll just, I'll just refer. But remember that special story where the Holy Spirit kind of airlifted Philip? And the next thing he knows, he's standing there next to the, Philipp, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. Okay? And then that tremendous story of uh, salvation there. I mean, this was a great time in the book of Acts. But I'll tell you, one thing in common about these people, nothing stopped these people. Nothing stopped them. I mean, it's like the more they were persecuted, the more determined they got. I mean, it's, 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 it's literally a beautiful thing. Now, just exactly, back in, in Philippians, how did Paul's imprisonment move the gospel forward? Well, 13 and 14 tell us three positive results listed in these two verses. Three positive revolt, results. The first one, the gospel was, verse 13, the gospel was spread throughout the whole, not just a piece of it, the whole praetorian Guard. Well, the question then would arise, what is the Praetorian Guard? Well, I'm glad you asked that. The Praetorian Guard was originally formed by Caesar Augustus. Remember that name? You, we read about him every year during the Christmas story. Okay, Caesar Augustus, and come on down and get registered. Yeah, that's Caesar Augustus. Now, these men were, of all, they were all of Italian birth, and there's about 10,000 of them all together. Now, they received... They were a special group. They received double pay. They had a lot of privileges that the normal soldier didn't have. Their rank was the equivalent of a centurion, which is like a centurion captain of 100 men. Okay? So their rank was, was that high, and their primary function was to protect the capital and, of course, Caesar himself. And they served for 12 years. It was later up to 16 years. And then when their service was complete, they received a generous severance package. Namely, money. <laughs> okay? And so they took their money and ran. And when Paul arrived in Rome, it was one of these men that he would have been chained to. When he came in off the boat, the Roman soldier that escorted him in from Caesarea would hand him off to a, one of the Praetorian Guard because they were the people in charge there. Because remember, why was Paul in Rome? Because he appealed to Caesar. And if you want to see Caesar, you go to Rome, right? So there he was. So he, he was in Rome on his, on his appeal. And then 
See, this would have special meaning. Why they mentioned they get specific, the whole Praetorian Guard? This would have special meaning to the Philippians. Remember what Philippi was and who lived there? A lot of retired military personnel centered there. I mean, if you remember back to our very first introductory lesson to this letter, Philippi was, it was like the architecture, everything was modeled after Rome itself. And it was very Roman in its culture. And again, a lot of retired military folks settled there. And so undoubtedly, there would have been even perhaps some people in the Philippian church that were former members of the Praetorian Guard. That's entirely possible. Matter of fact, in chapter 4, verse 22 of, of, of the Philippian letter, um, <clears throat> in the where he's signing off, Paul's, uh, Paul says to them, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Who would be of Caesar's house? He's not counting about the kids and grandkids. The household is the whole enchilada, everything that's around Caesar's household. And who's in and around Caesar's household? The Praetorian Guard. That was, that's all part of Caesar's household. Okay, It's bigger than even just uh, family. And so the word was spreading throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. And that would bring benefits later on too, down in our lesson when, where if persecution was to start and for any major complaints were to happen, who would be the ones that would arrest Paul or shut him up? It would be the Praetorian Guard. But, and can you imagine that, Paul? And remember, matter of fact, these guys now were rotated through, right? It wasn't just one guy, okay, your job is to, you're going to be chained with Paul and he was chained with Paul for the whole two years. No, it doesn't work that way. Remember, these were special troops that were treated special. I guarantee you there was a, a regular rotation of people going through there. That's just, the mili- even the military's got more sense than that. <laughs> I was in there, so I can say that. I mean, and so they, they know better than that. You're not going to, you know, just, I mean, that would be a sentence for that one fellow, that, the guy that got stuck there. Um, especially if the guy turned out to be a non-believer. Can you imagine listening to Paul preach every day to you, 24-7? Huh. When, when everybody else left the house, no, what about you? And then we just nail this guy. No, but he, they were there. They heard the message. I guarantee you, I mean, just knowing Paul through his letters, knowing Paul through his letters, I guarantee you every soldier that got chained to him, that was a, that was a suspect. That was a prospect. They were going to hear the gospel, guaranteed. I, you know, that's one of those things I can guarantee in life. They heard the gospel being chained to Paul, guaranteed. You talk about a captive audience. Who, yeah, in terms of the gospel, who who held captive to who? Okay. Now, the second positive result is right that very last little phrase in verse thirteen, where it says, "Well, it says the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else." Well, who is everyone else? Acts chapter twenty-eight. Let's go look. Acts chapter twenty-eight. And here's the situation where we, here's the, the account where we find Paul in Rome. I'd like to go over, it's not that long, but I'd like to go over it and just read through the whole account of him arriving at Rome and <clears throat> to, the end of the, to the end of the book of Acts, actually. Acts 20, verse 16. And 
And when we entered Rome, now remember, this is Luke writing. Luke was part of that team. Luke was still with Paul. So, and when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. And it happened that after three days, he called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they had come together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our father, yet I was delivered prisoner from from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Well, he had to appeal because he felt he wasn't going to get justice there. So he appealed to Rome. Being a Roman citizen, he could do that. See, he was that gave him that special privilege. So, and verse eighteen. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. Pause right there. Back there. Remember how things went back there. Remember what Pilate said about Jesus. I find no fault in him. Yet, at the pressure of the Jews, what did Pilate do? Go ahead. Crucify him. And on top of that, he had him scourged. Why? To appease the Jews. I mean, that's, that's that pragmatic approach. Well, you know, hey, what's one guy compared to the nation? That's what Pilate was thinking. All right? And that same thought process, if you, if you read, in, you read in the book of Acts... Some of the same people were in charge. You look at the early chapters of Acts, you can see people like Caiaphas and all those folks, Annas. They're all there. They're all still there. Well, and the same, the same attitude was still there too. It was the same Roman empire, the same Roman leaders. That Their number one job is to keep the peace, keep the peace. As long as it, the, there's peace out here and we collect the taxes, everything's fine. They can do what they want and they will pacify them. So Paul didn't want to be a pacified Sacrifice to the peace to to the Roman governor's peace. So he said, "You know, I'm I'm a I'm a Roman citizen. I'm going to appeal to Caesar." A Jewish felt like Peter couldn't do that, but Paul could. See, so he appealed to Caesar. Now, verse twenty or twenty-one, and they said to him, "We have neither." Now, there's the Jews saying back to him, uh, "No." Verse twenty. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you. And to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. Interesting opening. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. Okay, so so far, everything's fine. No problems with the Jewish community. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for concerning this sect, referring to Christianity. It is known to us that it is spoken against it is spoken against everywhere. And when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in, in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and, and trying to pers- persuade them concerning Jesus in both the law of Moses and from the prophets and from morning until evening. From morning until evening, preaching the gospel right out of the Old Testament to these Jewish folks. And result, verse 24, and some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others, notice, I noticed the language here, but others would not believe, just would not. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after, <clears throat> leaving after Paul had spoken, one parting word, the Holy, and here's, and here's his parting word to those that didn't believe, here's the parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, 
Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of the people has become dull. And their, their ears, and they have scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes, they, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return. And I should heal them. Let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will, they will also listen. The next verse is probably not there, although it was stated up in verse 24. Move down to 30. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this. With all openness unhindered. Again, all openness unhindered. That's, that's a key point. And again, that's why um, Paul could write when he wrote to the, the uh, Ephesians, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. You know, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I've got, you know, it's, it's almost like um, strategically speaking for the gospel, I got these people right where I want them because this, they're coming to him. They're coming to him. And so were Roman soldiers, whether they knew it or not. They were coming to him. And so they got there. Guess what, Pally? I got a message for you. And they would, they would get the gospel. And so that he kept on going, kept on going. In, in Paul's final imprisonment, later on down the road, it's about four or five years after Paul would be, would be released from Rome, he was once again incarcerated in Rome, but this final time it was in a Roman dungeon facing death. And in his final letter, he, he wrote this to Timothy. Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. And I love this. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with, and with it, eternal glory. Remember, the gospel of God, the word of God is not imprisoned. And that was, that was Paul's mantra. And he, that's why, hey, I'm a prisoner of Jesus, and the, but the word of God cannot be imprisoned. It cannot be stopped. It's going to go. Because remember, it's, it's our sovereign God that's behind it. He's going to promote it. And that's why it is, you know, and talking about, just if I can just back up just a little bit here, just pause that's why evangelism, I believe, is so important. Fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples, teaching them all the things I've commanded you. In making disciples, the word is going to go out. The word's going to go out. Everybody that's going to be saved is going to be saved. The question is, do you want to be part of that or not? Think about it. Do you, he's, he's going to do it with you or without you. You want to be part of that or not? That's how I look at it. You know, that's part of God's plan. That's how he's going to do it. He, look, he works through his people. Not everybody was saved through a Damascus Road kind of experience, okay? The direct route. The overwhelming majority of time, the gospel is given by God through his people. Through his people. Paul understood that. I mean, Paul wrote 
all those passages about the sovereignty of God. Paul was the systematizer, if you will, of that theology. I mean, it's all through his letters. Galatians, you know, Ephesians, it's, it's every, Romans, it's everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. And that's my only motivation I can give you. It's like, you want to be part of God's plan or not? Or, or are we going to be spectators? You know, it's like, uh, I guess those three types of people, you know, there's those that uh, watch things happen. There's those that make things happen. And then there's that group that wonder what happened. Okay? And we're all part of one of those groups. We're all part of one of those groups. And as far as the Gospels, I'm hoping we're part of that group that's making it happen by being used of God. Anyway, that's, that's, my, that's my prayer and desire for this church. This church. You know, that, that we would just get a great burden to just reach the neighborhood. Just reach. Just find out ways. Just get it out there. Get that word out there. All right. Enough. I don't want you to get you mad at me. Third positive result is in verse 14. And that is Paul's freedom to speak encouraged other believers. Look at verse 14. And, the, and, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more, because of my imprisonment, have far more encouragement, courage to speak the word of God without fear. Well, let's face it. I mean, they're seeing, there's Paul chained to one of the Praetorian guards and one of the, that, one of the elite groups. And, they, and it was spread to the Praetorian guards, so they knew that. They knew that. The word gets out. I remember, people had freedom of access. To, people, I mean, in Acts, we heard people coming to and fro all the time. All the time, just in and out, in and out. It was a revolving door. People coming in and out, in and out. Paul teaching day and night, two years, you know, unhindered. It was magnificent. And <clears throat> again, the, the, the door was wide open. And again, I remember, if anybody was going to shut down Paul from speaking, it would have been the Praetorian Guard, just close the door, no more visitors. But no, we know in Acts 28 that that door was open for the entire time he was there. And all these people kept coming and coming and going and coming and going. People were saved. It's obvious by this. And again, again, verse 33, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Again, like he um, wrote to Timothy, the word of God is not in prison. It isn't today either, folks. Now, so they had boldness, and that's good. So people are out there witnessing. However, there's a uh, drawback to that. There's a negative piece here that we have to deal with. Verses 14 through 17. I'm going to read those verses, and then we'll look at those. And again, the good news Verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord Jesus because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, hmm. but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. 
And you go, I mean, the first time I remember reading, I said, what is that all about? You know what I mean? What is that? I mean, again, now you're talking about believers in Rome, not in Philippi. These are what's going on in Rome. All right? So this is, this is nothing against the, you know, this is not happening in Philippi. Although you could read what's happening in Rome and heed the warning that, hey, watch out for this. Because remember, Paul was, you know, Paul was, hey, as an apostle, I mean, it's kind of like the old thing. The higher up the ladder one goes, you become a bigger target for people. And it's sad. It's sad. Okay, first, the two motives. First, the improper motive. That motive of ill will, we'll call it. Preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, verse 15. Well, envy means exactly what you think it means. It means jealousy. It could even mean uh, spiteful jealousy. And strife speaks of contention. It's a kind of contention that often leads to hostility. Um, you know, things like backbiting. Um, I guess see you on the parking lot, but I've never seen that at a church yet, at least none I've been to. But, you know, it's going to lead to that. Envy, strife. It's funny, Paul, Paul wrote about strife in the letter to the Romans five years earlier, about five years earlier. I'll just quote them to you. Romans 1, 28 to 29, that very famous passage that's part of Romans 1, 18 to 32 that speaks to this generation, really. It, man, it speaks to this generation. I'm just going to pull a little piece out of there. Where it says, and just as they just, and these are talking about non-believers, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips. And then Romans 13, 13, here is now. Um, this is written to believers as encouragement part of teaching Romans 13 13 says let us behave properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality not in strife and jealousy so there you have those two it's funny how they paired them up you can see how carousing and drunkenness kind of go together right they're almost synonyms, quite frankly. Uh, sexual promiscuity and sensuality, again, go together. And then here, not in strife and jealousy. Go together, envy and strife, strife, you know, same thing. Same thing. So, again, these are the kind of things that just stay away from those rooms. Well, obviously everybody, maybe not everybody read that book. But that was the book to the Romans. It's been around for at least five years, and many copies have probably been um, written down and, and preached upon. Now, that, that first group... Or this first group of the two proclaimed, it says in verse 17, proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. Um, we're not told the reason why. When we almost have to piece it together, and one thing I'm not going to do is make something up. I, I just don't do that. Um, the truth that the actual reason is somewhere in the white spaces between the letters. I don't pull things out of there. <laughs> I want to see what's in the letters, the actual writing. But if it's done out of selfish ambition, it seems they were envious of Paul's position as an apostle, his position of prominence, perhaps. 
Um, a very similar situation happened in Corinth. We've already talked about that. We're not going to turn there. Remember, were they false apostles? But in Corinth, those false apostles were not believers. The tragic thing here is that these people are believers. That's the sad part. These people doing this out of selfish ambition, these are believers. That, to me, that makes, it, that makes it much more shameful. Selfish ambition has no place in the church. And quite frankly, selfish ambition, you'll find its base in pride. It's pride. I want to be the top dog. I want to be the guy in charge. Because you look through, we see no evidence in here that these people were not true believers. I mean, Paul was not bashful about, hey, if, if they were false, Paul was not bashful about calling out false teaching, believe me. You know, I mean, like to the Galatians, you have believed in another gospel, a false Christ. I mean, he just boom, boom, boom. You just, you just read through all of uh, Paul's letters, and he is not at all bashful about pointing out. When you see, he sees false doctrine, false teaching, he'll call it out. He'll call it out by name. Remember, hey, when he talked, I forget which letter he Hey, watch Alexander. That guy will get you. He did me, try to do me much harm. He'll do it to you too. Watch him. I mean, Paul will call them out. Matter of fact, in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 2, it says uh, later on in this letter, he's going to warn, warn us, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. So there you go. Paul calls it out when he sees it, when it needs to be called out, because that's a warning. Matter of fact, all throughout Old and New Testament, scriptures are full of warnings. Warnings about false... We read that this morning in our... our thing. Um, it says narrow is the, when, when Jesus talked about narrow is the way to salvation, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And then he goes, this very next passage says, beware of false prophets. Well, why would he say that? Because they're the ones that are going to lead you down that wide road and steer you away from the narrow road. Okay. I mean, scriptures is true. It's just it's so true with itself. So consistent with itself that if there's false teachers that need to be pointed out, scripture does it. So, therefore, I have to assume that these are actually believers, in which, like I say, I think that's even a sadder situation. And he says, their goal was to cause, Paul says, to cause me distress in my imprisonment. I don't know. These people had an axe to grind with Paul for some unmentioned reason, which I think in one sense is very telling to us, the fact that he doesn't mention what it is, and who's actually doing it, the people in Rome will know. The people in Rome will know. And he's probably talking to a lot of the people in Rome anyway. And I, I, I believe the big reason is this. Paul did not mention what their problem or problems were because that did not matter to Paul. Remember who Paul was. Paul... What mattered to Paul was the advancement of the gospel. That's all he, that's what he gave his life. He didn't give his life to, you know, uh, messing around with a bunch of malcontents. We don't, hey, just the church discipline will deal with that kind of stuff. I mean, he was focusing on the gospel. He was focusing on the gospel. Paul, number one concern was the advancement of the gospel. And you know what? So it should be with us. That should be our number one concern. All this other stuff... 
Yeah, we got to deal with it. But all this, when it comes, but all this other number one, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. You should put a banner up there. Gospel first. <laughs> I mean, it's just, that is our mission. You know, the gospel. These preachers were motivated by envy and strife. And remember back last week, talked a little bit about judgment time, the day of Christ. Come judgment time. And I'm just going to keep going on the assumption they're believers because I haven't heard anything to the contrary. All those efforts that they're... And Paul says that's good that, that's good that the gospel is going out, even by them. That, that's good. That's a good thing. The gospel is going out. But I'll tell you what. All their efforts of the gospel, assuming they're Christians, you know what that's going to become? Judgment time, wood, hay, and straw. All be burned. I'm glad you gave the gospel, and some people might have got saved, but as far as your good works and rewards, that's wood, hay, and stubble, gone. It's gone up in smoke. Gone. Because you did it with the, for the wrong motives. I mean, you study those passages, that's the thing. You know, all of our, because remember, that judgment is a judgment for rewards. And these people are going to stand there and go, we preach the gospel. Yeah, but you did it with bad motives. Burns up, it goes. That's was a flamed out fire, that sound there. Okay. Now, the second motive, and this is where we should all be. The second motive is goodwill, as, in, as said in verse 15. In other words, the right motive, which, go back to verse 11, which demonstrates the fruit of righteousness. Which demonstrates the fruit of righteousness. Read verse, let's look at verse 16 again. The latter, do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Okay. The latter. Knowing that I'm appointed for the gospel. That word knowing, does that ring a bell? Look back in verse 9. In this I pray that your love, okay, the word love, may abound still more and more in what? Real knowledge and discernment. Real knowledge and discernment. Even if you found Paul to be an imperfect person. Uh, hey, you know who is Paul? Paul is appointed for the defense of the gospel. He's a man you need to listen to, not malign. He's appointed by, he's an apostle of God, right? And, they're, and they're, they're trying to up somehow upstage him, take his position maybe. We don't know. But all, they, all we do know is that they had selfish ambition, and that selfish ambition caused them to do what they're doing to spite Paul, to give to actually make him feel bad. But these latter, knowing better, these, this, group, this group in chapters in verse 17 understood the importance of the gospel and Paul's position as an apostle. And again, uh, reading from Romans 1, again, which the Romans had. Romans 1, 1 through 6 says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He set apart for the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. All right? They had the info. This, these are the people that got the message. They know the message. They understand the message. And this second group, by the way, come judgment time, guess what? They're out there preaching the gospel out of pure motives. 
guess what? They're the ones that are going to receive gold, silver, and precious stones for their efforts. See? Gold, silver, and precious stone. And finally, we'll look at Paul's summation here. Verse 18. It says in Philippians 1.18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in, the, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. <clears throat> so what then? Well, that's a rhetorical question he immediately answers. And, and the what then is, um, hey, in every way the gospel is presented, we can rejoice in that. What do we do? How do we, what do we do about this? What, do, what then? What do, we, what, what do we do concerning all this we've just talked about? What do we do? Well, what we do is rejoice in the furtherance of the gospel. That's what we do. That's what we do. We don't hold grudges. We don't get ugly. We rejoice that the gospel is going forward and leave it at that. And leave it at that. And it says, it says only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. Remember that word pretense. Pretense meaning, literally means an outward show. An outward show, that's, that's all it was. An outward show of being righteous. An outward show of being spiritual. And I, I, understand, I find it interesting that here in verse 18, pretense is kind of held in opposition to truth. Or it says here, whether in pretense or in truth. It's kind of, okay. It's, either way, it's good the gospel's getting out, but isn't it much better if we're on the side that's in the truth of this whole thing? We've got the right motives. We've got, we've got our heads on straight about this thing. And that's it. And the, the bottom line is, to Paul, Christ is proclaimed. That's the bottom line to Paul. That's, we said that from the very beginning. That's where Paul's at. That's his ministry. That's the ministry of the church. That's the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission. Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed. I mean, right from the start of the conversation in verse 12, his primary focus on the gospel, 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 his life's devotion, dedicated. And again, um, Paul was not going to allow himself and this very important mission of the gospel of Christ to be sidetracked, by, like I say, by, by some malcontents. That, that had it in for him for who knows what reason that, that he didn't bother to tell us. That's probably, the Spirit of God knows it's a good thing we probably don't know. It, we probably, it's probably a good thing. And because of his focus, because his focus is spreading the gospel, Paul declares this in the ending. And I think this is a, this is a fantastic, it, he emphasizes this point that he's been trying to make here from the very, from verse 12 on, he goes, he says, and in this, the fact that the gospel is going out, he says, and in this I rejoice. And then he goes, yes, and I will rejoice. So should we. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord, with thanksgiving. May we have Paul's attitudes in ministry. May we have that attitude that we rejoice in the advancement of your gospel. And Lord, may we not be the ones to hinder that movement. We just thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for calling us by your gospel. And again, Lord, may we all be found as worthy servants from you. In Jesus' name, amen.